Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Next week, as you heard, I don't know if you've ever ended up somewhere by accident. I have, unfortunately. I've ended up in wrong towns where I'm meant to be at other places. You cannot believe the wrong places I've ended up in. But the good news is when I think about life, I feel like I've ended up right where I'm meant to be and right in the direction that I'm meant. There's something wonderful about waking up each day with a sense of this is not only where I chose to be, that this is where God, where God wanted me to be at this point in time, doing what I'm doing. And uh, so this series we're about to do, I think there's going to be lots in it. And as Mikey said, there's weekend messages. I wish I could say it as smoothly. Join the weekend messages, the midweek studies, and the daily devotions. I can't do smooth. I can only do gravelly. Um, But there's a lot there and uh, obviously encourage you to be part of that and get the midweek studies and the devotions from our website. I'm sure there are other places as well. Um, But it's going to be really helpful to you. Today, we're in week three of our final installment of our Vision Sunday talks. And so I'm going to pray. Welcome to everybody online as well. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get straight into into this. Heavenly Father, um, thank you. Thank you for everybody in the room and on the link. God, um, I just pray you take these words and do something with them in people's lives. You're, you're so mighty. You're so able. And, and we, we recognize that, well, this could just be a talk for the next 27 minutes. Or there's something that could go on that is supernatural, something that only you could do. And so that's what we're looking for. That's what we're praying, God. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Let's get to it. Um, we've been talking about watering holes, and today we're going to continue with that. And we're, we're kind of talking about be, build, own. The idea of watering holes and these three simple things of be, build, own. As we go to that, I want to give you a bit of a recap of the last two weeks. So we talked about, you know, we see our future as a church as being one of a, an expansive, pioneering Acts 2 church. It's really just an amplification of who we're already endeavoring to be and pursuing what we think God has called us to, which up until this point, by his grace, he's always brought to pass. We recognize that when we talk about the future, that if God doesn't turn up and do something, that the plans won't come to pass. And so we stand here and go, hey, we believe it's this. It's expansive. We'll always have a pioneering spirit, at least while I'm here, to lead. Who knows when God will you know, bring an end to that. One day he will. Someone else will lead. But while I'm here, I think we'll be expansive. We'll be pioneering. And we want to be Acts 2. Uh, we see the work that is next for us as building five strong in terms of local churches, which is what we currently have, and the capacity for 10. That's how we see it unfolding over the next few years. And then three, our 2021 focus, we're talking about watering holes. And, and, and it's this idea that we would live as watering hole type people and be a watering hole type church. Uh, what we mean by that is when I think watering holes, and I'm not going to labor here, I think life reviving. I think life giving. Um, I, I think of people loving life around watering holes. And when I think, or when we think of our church, when we think of people who are that, and when we think of uh, places that are that, a church that's that, we think of similar things. We think of life reviving people and churches. We think of life giving people and churches. We think of loving life people and churches. I think that God's people ought to love life. And, and we think of bi- biblically strong and spiritually dynamic. 
There should be a spiritual dynamic to the believer in Jesus' life. Something about the believer in Jesus that's fundamentally different to anyone around us. Not weird, not better, not judgmental, dynamic. Spiritually dynamic because God is fundamentally and God is actively at work, the Bible says, in our lives. See, if I don't know Jesus yet, the Bible tells me that God's trying to draw me. That's the work that he's doing. But when I do come to faith in Jesus, something fundamentally shifts. There's something the Bible says that spiritually goes on and it shifts my life from one being drawn by God to one being filled by God and one being led by God. And and the spiritual dynamic shifts because the Bible says my eyes have actually been opened and my heart is now understanding. It's meant to be powerful. And we want to be those kinds of people. We want to be that kind of uh, place as a church. And so to encourage watering hole type people and create a watering whole kind of church, we're focused on the three things I mentioned. Be, build, and own. They're the three things we're really focused on this year. So B, I talked about last week, um, and it's simply this. It's about being a watering hole kind of person. The idea is captured in Isaiah 58 verse 11. It says, The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Don't you want to live that kind of life? doesn't matter how sun-scorched it is around us, that we'd be like a well-watered spring, like a spring whose waters never fail. Uh, David Moore spoke in our 8.30 service this morning, and he said about how last year had been one of the, well, just a difficult life in his household um, for some health reasons and COVID and the end of a drought um, you know, in Tamworth. And, and he talked about that. He said, but in the midst of it, my, my life and... Gay's life was like a well-watered spring. There was still life coming from within us, and we want to be those kinds of people. B is about being a watering hole kind of person in every season. It's about our life, and it's about our message. The life within, the life that overflows, and, of course, its effect on other people. Uh, we want to, when we're moving around, be the kind of people that cause something to stir in you, something to rise in you, something to go on that's good. Uh, you know, I love the story when they were walking with Jesus one day on a road, a couple of his disciples post his resurrection. And for whatever reason, I don't know how it works, they didn't realize it was him. And, and then what they recognize at some point that it's Jesus. And what do they say? Did we not feel our hearts burn within us? What are they saying? There's something was going on. There was like a, a fire on the inside when we realized, when we were walking with that guy that we didn't recognize as the risen Savior. But there was something. And I think if you're a believer in Jesus, people, people should feel something beyond, they certainly shouldn't feel judgment. That's the great distinction between God's people and the people all around you if you're a believer is we're meant to function differently. The Bible says don't have anything to do with judging anyone outside the church. Where do we get the idea of placards on corners? The Bible says, hey, if someone's outside the church, it's none of your business. But when we live life-giving ways and bring his life-giving gospel message, that has power that has the ability to change the, the life and the echo and the eternity, the internal dynamic of a person's life, the overflow of their life, their future, their eternity. It's incredible. That kind of God, those kinds of people, he wants us to live that kind of way. And so it's about life and message. That's the first one today. We're going to talk about build and own in the minutes that we have. So build is it's about discipling, watering whole people, and owned I'll get to. So build. Isaiah 58, 12, the next verse captures the idea for us. It says, Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins 
and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repair of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwelling. Now, this scripture, this, these verses obviously written to a time, people, and place, but the, the principle here is incredible. I love it. It's, it's like you're going to rebuild. You're going to be a rebuilder of people. You're going to be a rebuilder of places. There's, out of ruins, life's going to come. Um, foundations that build people's future are going to be established. There's going to be turnaround. There's going to be um, uh, what's the word? There's, there's going to be a reviving. There's going to be life-giving. There's going to be an overflow, a rebuilder, a raiser-upper, those kinds of people, and, and we want to be them. So discipling, watering hole type people. And this seems so obvious, but for many people, it's a shift. Here's how we know there's a shift to go on if I'm a believer in Jesus. Who are you discipling right now? Who can you identify as someone that you're discipling right now, like you are helping mature, grow their faith, shape their character, mold their being, point them in the direction of Jesus and his purposes? Who is, who is that for you? And, and if I can't readily recognize and articulate who that might be in the change that's gone on, there might be a shift to go on from being a believer who is built to a believer who is built who then builds others. And that's where God wants to bring every believer to. We want to be those kinds of, that kind of church. It's a shift. A shift from only being built to one who builds others. And so the question is always, who am I personally discipling right now? Jesus made it so simple, so clear. With his last words, he said this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And then he gave the headline for how. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're looking forward to doing that next year. That's why the pool's still there. Uh, next week, baptizing some people. You could be amongst them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And after he says that, he wraps up with these words before his ascension. He says, and surely I'm with you always. There'll never be a moment I'm not with you, even to the very end of the age. And so it's so simple. The, the mission he's left every person who believes in him. This liberating, life-changing, eternity-echoing message and mission that Jesus has left his church. He says, hey, go and reach people. Go and be and then bring the message. And if they believe, disciple them, build them. Pretty straightforward. Be a person who was built and be a builder of people. Um, and so with that in mind, um, influencing a certain kind of disciple. It's not just about, there's plenty of people who make disciples, but we want to make a certain kind of disciple, someone who's life-giving. So more like a watering hole than a frosted over, now I'm going to get lost in my words because I didn't plan it. But, you know, I've, I've met people who are Christians and who are completely judgmental. Um, in fact, if I look at their lives, I don't want anything to do with their faith. That's the truth. I'm like, hell no, if that's Christianity, leave me out. And yet, that's definitely not what Jesus left. Jesus left this picture, this image of people who, who lived grace-filled lives, who were generous to the point of ridiculous, who were so devoted to each other and so committed to their saviour that their lives were radically different as they moved about the rhythm of their everyday life. There was something about the community they were in. I went to church as a kid from about 7 till 10. Now, I remember it vividly, but at about 10, my mum stopped going for a bunch of years, and so we stopped going too. But I remember in my teens at school, even though I was not a Christian kid, certainly wasn't about to tell anyone that I believed in God or Jesus, I remember writing a story that I got top marks for. Actually, my teacher pulled me out of the class and got me to write a manuscript after it 
which was a disastrous failure. But for a moment in time, my teacher thought this kid might be an author. And I wrote this story about this community of faith who believed in God and how their lives were interwoven and interacted and how they went out and moved amongst the community they were in. And my pretty sure atheist teacher thought, I've never heard a story like this, but I'm compelled by it. I think that kid should write. Well, the writing only lasted a few weeks. He realized that he got it wrong. But he, he identified and recognized something in the story of an Acts 2 kind of church, though we wouldn't have put those words around it. And, and God wants to build that. He, he still, I still believe in it. And it's not because I'm a pastor. Man, Bronnie and I would talk about this idea well before we were looking after a church or churches, this idea of an Acts 2 kind of faith and discipling people into a watering hole kind of life full of grace and life reviving, life giving. So how do we become that kind of disciple? I've, I've just put two really simple points. Here's the first one. Eat, pray, love. Number one. Eat, pray, love. Does anyone remember the movie? Right? Few, few of the girls. None of the men are owning it. Come on. Who's a man in the room that has watched Eat, Pray, Love? Put your hand up. My hand's up. Thanks, fellas. The strong, the brave, and the courageous, and the rest of you. I must admit, I only watched to Italy. And then I was gone. I'm like, I've had enough. Italy was good, but I think I'm going to die if I watch it all. Eat, pray, love. But what I love about this idea of eat, pray, love, discipleship, is that it's, it's, discipleship is meant to be organized and organic. It's meant to be temple-trained and then just lived in the rhythm of everyday life. It's meant to be both. In fact, when we use the word disciple, and if you haven't got a church background, it's kind of, what? What on earth are you talking about? Because it's the Jewish church understood disciple because they were used to rabbis and students. It was the Jewish boy dream. And so they had rabbis and students. Everybody got rabbi and his discipleship follower. But was, and it was about temple training, but it wasn't only about temple training. In fact, you could argue that most of the training went on away from the temple. The, 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 the students would watch the rabbi and take upon the Bible talks about his yoke, his actual teaching. And, and they would take that on and they would watch their lives and, 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 and listen to their speech and, and follow their rhythms and all of those kinds of things. They, were, they picked up the lifestyle of the leader. They picked up the words of the leader. They picked up the rhythm and grace and you know, all of that of the leader. That was discipleship. It was living day by day. In fact, if you think about Jesus, not only were his last words to go and make disciples, but 80% or more of his ministry time is said to have been spent with the 12 people closest to him. 80% or more of his time was actually spent with 12 guys, one of whom would later go bad. So he got down to 11. 11 guys, 80% of his ministry time. Think about the need in Jesus' day. Think about the need. And think about his capacity to meet the need. And in the midst of that context... Jesus spends 80% or more of his estimated, it's estimated of his time with 11 young men, discipling them, training them, rabbi with student, so that they would be able to go and influence the multitudes and change the world. And really, the pattern's not changed. He calls us to be those kinds of people. The reason that Chrissy is such a great worship leader is that when Chrissy was young, before all of the accolades of how great she is on a stage. For all of that, 
Chrissy and I were on the same church band. I was the drummer. Chrissy was the singer. Chrissy would be routinely inspired by my ability to play drums. It was incredible. And um, actually, I did play, but I didn't last very long. It was terrible. It uh, had nothing to do with me. Don't know why I told you the story. But see, when the Apostle Paul comes along, and the Apostle Paul understands discipleship because he is Jewish-born, but he starts to change the language so non-Jewish people would get it, and he, he starts to talk about fathers and sons. And straight away, that radically shifts the idea for people who are not Jews because it's easy to think in, in terms of the church as in teacher and student. In fact, Paul says, you have many teachers. He says, but you have very few fathers. And, and what Paul recognized, it's not the teacher and student that will fully get it done, but it's the father and son, mothers and daughters, older and younger, wiser and learning. And that's the rhythm of getting it done. And it's worked out in the rhythm of everyday life, temple, training, and eat, pray, love, just eating food. They were learning on the run all the time, just in the crossover of their life. Might have told the story here. Could I grab that drink bottle, please? Has it got a lid on it? Great, you can throw it. And uh, I mainly wanted it because I needed a drink, but it reminded me, thanks. My son and I go to, um, when my leg's actually working, and my son and I go to the football fields and we train on multiple mornings. He does most of the work. I do a little bit of the work. And um, but I always throw him a drink bottle. After we've done a set of whatever, I'll throw him the drink bottle. He'll drink it. And then he'll throw it away. And then so one day I say to I throw him the drink bottle. And, I, and he throw, goes to throw, throw it away. I say, hey, son. I said, when you finish with the drink bottle, you do one of two things. You put it on the ground and you thank me. Or you put it back in my hand and thank me. And the reason is not because I need thanks. I know my son's thankful. It's because I say, son, if, if one day you do play in the NRL, you'll be the only fella who'll be handing the trainer the drink bottle, looking the trainer in the eye and going, hey, thanks for that. And why do I care about that? I don't care about it because of football. I don't care if he plays football or not. I care about it as a follower of Jesus, that his life would so speak and be so powerful in the big and in the little. And so that's not learnt in the classroom. That's just learnt him and I him sweating it out, me kind of, down the path, throwing a football around, doing hill runs, and discipling. Eat, pray, love. And that's how Jesus did most of it. It mostly was eat, pray, love. So who are you a discipler of? And maybe even if you're in the room, you could feel a little bit, that it could overwhelm you if you're a, you know, a single parent with young kids, etc. I remember my mum being in that stage of life. God, I thank God that she discipled my brothers. Thank God for a contribution to my life. I wonder if she thought it was a big deal. In fact, I know that she didn't. I know that my mum never thought it was a big deal. My uncle's very close to leaving this planet right now, and, and he said to me recently, um, he said, oh, Darren, your mum would be so proud. I'm like, I don't want him to go just for that. I just want him to remind me of that. But the point is this. It was my mum discipling me. I'd just go and visit my mum and sit on a bed. We'd have gospel conversations. Some of you come to a thing called overflow that we have once a month. I'll tell you where that, its true origin is, apart from scripture. Its true origin is actually that as a young man, my mum would always say to me, Darren, don't be that church that loses the gifts of the Spirit. Don't be that church. And I had to acknowledge that I woke up one day and I, we were, I was leading that church that had lost it 
and that we needed to rediscover it. What is that? That's called discipleship. My mum put great things in that show up later down the track and now influencing people beyond me. And so we thank God. And eat, pray, love. It was organic. I don't remember doing too many um, organized Bible studies with my mum. I would have died if she were to preach for an hour. And, um, but organically, she taught me so much. And, and you know, that, that's what God calls you to and I to. It's a journey of a lifetime. It's a great privilege and pleasure if you're a believer in Jesus. Eat, pray, love. So who's that for you? Where's that going on? Jesus and his disciples. It was organized and organic. Um, but here's the challenge of eat, pray, love. Because it's actually pretty easy to do. Take someone not as far as you in their faith and just keep journeying with them. Here's a challenge. It, it takes on purpose effort. It's hard work. It takes patience in the process because people stuff it up. In fact, sometimes they stuff it up really, really badly. And it takes patience in the process. Um, think about Peter. Jesus, knowing that the Apostle Peter, or who would become the Apostle Peter, would betray him, uh, not betray him, deny him, run away from him and leave him. In the midst of that, he still spent more than 80% of his time directly putting into his life. It takes patience in the process. And it's definitely personalized in proximity. Um, have you ever met someone who this is what you definitely don't do? There are some people who are really committed to discipleship, who don't know anyone, they don't know the person involved, but the moment they get, they, get, they walk up and correct them. They don't know me, they walk up and give me a rebuke, as the Bible calls it. You go, Darren, you need to really do this, and if you don't, well, you're probably going to hell, or you're a false prophet, or some, some ridiculous statement. But there's no relationship. It's not discipleship. It's a gunslinger. Discipleship flows out of becoming the known and then the valued. And the valued become the invited in. And the invited in soon have a voice to speak. But that's the order, not the other way. And they become the voice. And everyone, in fact, most of the time I have found where people who are harsh around this stuff are often the most unteachable people you ever meet. If that's you, have a think. But for everybody else, it's not really an issue. But just getting alongside people, become the known, become the valued, become the invited, that your voice can speak into their life and faith and growth. Here's the effect, Acts 4.13. Listen to this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they, right, they weren't rabbi trained. When they saw that, they were astonished. They took note. What did they take note of? That these men had been with Jesus. They noted that there's something about these guys that doesn't reflect their history, their background, their pedigree. There's something about them. Oh, we know what it is. They've been with Jesus. And you can, all, you can tell, can't you? They could tell. You could tell they'd been with Jesus. And you can always tell who people have been with. Give it enough time, you can tell. You can tell. If, if someone walks into our church today and they, they come from my um, Bronnie's um, part of the family, a lot of them go to Anglican churches. If you come from that background, you walk in today, you are under no illusion that I come from an Anglican background. You don't think that guy could be Anglican trained. You know that I'm not. You know where I've been schooled. And if I walk into an environment, that we can tell who certain people have been with, can't we? And, and it's true in faith. And it says they, you could tell that they'd been with Jesus and you can always tell who people have been with. You, you, you get a peer group and what's that peer group for a year or so and I've seen people who are all fired up for Jesus become the apathetic, critical, on the edge of fringe of their faith. 
ready to drop out. And I've seen the opposite. I've seen people who got in the right setting, got discipled by great people who've been on the fringe, and they end up right at the center, living for God, giving their lives away. I've seen Christians live so negatively because of the circle they got in, and I've seen people live so faith-filled with optimism because of the circle and peers that they got involved in. That's the power of relationship, the power of discipleship. And, you know, you can just tell. So have you noticed? Uh, he, he, you can tell. And so as it relates to you, um, the people around you, if you're a believer in Jesus that you're discipling, would you say they love Jesus more? They love his church more? Jesus absolutely loves his church. He gave the commandment, love God and love people. He gave the commission, go into all the world and make disciples. And he gave the one thing he was going to build, his church. He loves his church. Would they love Jesus more? Do they love his church more? Would they love people more generally? What, what would the distinctives be of someone discipled by you? I'm so thankful for great people who disciple people really, really well. So many people. I've been discipled by Frank. Frank taught me help the progress of a great work ethic, I think. Sounds like I'm giving myself a rap. I'm trying to give Frank a rap. Um, but Frank just lives with a great work ethic. I watch him model that. I watch him model how he talks to people about Jesus when we go about our everyday working life. I'd wake up in the same room as Frank traveling around the countryside. God help us all as he'd start to pray before we'd even got out of bed. It's like, Frank, let us wake up, please. We just want to wake up before you start praying out loud for all of us to hear. Not great discipleship, but still, taught me to pray. No. So many, so many people. Some of you know Lee and Vicky Martin. Great disciples of a bunch of people right in this room. Incredible people, models so much sacrifice, generosity, faith-filled living. I wonder who modeled things for you. And I wonder what you'll model for others. Um, so eat, pray, love. And then this um, is simply uh, connected to it. Having discipleship conversations, I think it's so important. Flows out, like I said earlier, it flows out of being the known, the valued, the invited, and then becoming a trusted voice. But just having discipleship conversations. I love these verses. Um, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And then it gives the why for it, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, people get caught up on the rebuking and, and the correcting and get a bit negative on it, but understand the why, that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Um, so just having discipleship conversations as we go, not turning everything into a big meeting if I'm discipling someone, just to go there, help them grow, be about their future, point them to Jesus, uh, create, create foundations built on the Scriptures, and let's be those kinds of people. And of course, as I wrap around that, just making it life-giving, life-reviving, uh, loving life kind of faith, spiritually dynamic, biblically strong. In the two minutes I've got left, I just want to talk own, because own is about creating watering holes for people, kind of church that would be a watering hole kind of environment, that people's lives could be revived, that they could actually be um, alive and live and strong and spiritually dynamic. Um, and to do that, here's a simple thing, is own is simply this. Um, I used to be a door knocker for five years in my 20s. Do you pity me? You know, those poor people who knock on your door and you can tell they need a job and they need a food and they need this sale or they're in trouble. Well, I did that for five years in my 20s. 
And there's something you learn, there's something you begin to work out because we were selling to homeowners. What we were selling, no renter would buy. And so what you work out over time is you can pretty well tell when a home is owned and when a home is rented. It's in the little things, but you can tell. And occasionally you get shocked and occasionally you go to the house that you absolutely know is a renter and you go, oh, I was an owner. I'm glad I went, but it's rare. Most of the time, see, owners take care, generally speaking, that renters don't. Owners love their home, generally speaking, in ways that renters don't. Owners invest in their home in ways renters usually don't. You can, there's just so many telltale signs. And, and Jesus, I believe, calls his people to be owners, listen to this, of his church. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. From him, from Jesus, the whole body, all of us, everyone, joined together by every supporting ligament. That's you, that's me. Grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The, the body of Christ, the local church, Jesus' church, grows into maturity as each part makes a contribution. Contribution. You, me, us, we, as we all do that little bit, it becomes and it grows and everything can grow from there. You know, I just want to encourage us all today as it relates to the service that you attend, uh, the church that you're in, if you're on the link, that we'd be those who take ownership. Don't live like renters of Jesus' church. I know he calls us to be owners, the contributors, that every part would supply its bit. Don't only be someone who's built. Let's be those who would build. Let's create the kind of let's create the kind of church. Let's risk it all that we would be the kind of church that actually reflects Isaiah 58, that it's life reviving, that it's life giving. You know, wouldn't it be great that the that the widows wouldn't say, I'm isolated? That the that people wouldn't feel like they're left to the fringes. That actually we'd be the kind of people that would walk across the room to talk to someone who, you know, we've never met before to make them feel right at home. I tell you, you never know who you're meeting. I was at a wedding. And um, there was this old guy there across the room on his own. Well, poor fella. I'll go talk to him. No one else is. So I go and talk to this man. His name is Jim Wallace. He used to lead the Australian Christian Lobby and the Australian Defence Force. I'm like, whoa, I just landed on gold. I learned so On that day for the next 20 minutes, I learned some of the leadership lessons that built our church to this moment from an old guy on the other side of the room. Sorry, Jim. Old guy on the side of the room who just happened to be standing on his own who no one was showing interest in. The Bible says that when we entertain strangers, sometimes they're angels. Now, I'm pretty sure Chrissy's not an angel. He's revealed enough to tell me that she's probably not an angel. But some of the people that we meet, they're angels. I don't know how it works. I reckon let's just go for it. Let's be that kind of people. Let's be that kind of place. And if we will, I'll wait, wait and see what God does in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.